Min, what's going on guys? It's Johnny. How is everybody? Looks like we're here. Looks like everything's working. Let's see who all comes into the stream. Looking good so far. Todd Packer, good to see you, sir. Everyone, got a decent show planned for you today. At least I think I do. I'm probably a little bit biased in my opinion on this, but drop it in the comments, boys. Can you hear me okay? Connection any good? Sound any good? Looks like we've got an excellent connection according to YouTube, so, you know, it is what it is. Looks like we're connected on the router over there. It's a bit strange to only see two people coming in so far, so it is what it is. But the connection is running, so we'll dive into today's content, man. Did you know that it's not an accident, guys, that we are being deleted slowly but surely by the powers that be, by history? Yes, Big Sister's attacking us already, Todd. We haven't even barely got the stream started. What's going on here? <laughs> Let me make sure I see it over here in my other tab, just to see if it is indeed on the channel, boys. Give me one second. It says live on here. Hmm. Very interesting. 10,000 subscribers, almost 11,000 subscribers, and uh, not much happening on a Saturday of all days. Which is crazy, but for the sake of the replay, we will press on. Anyways, Todd Packer, good to see you, sir. As always, thanks for coming through the stream. We've got a few more people streaming in now. Guys, what's going on? It's Johnny. As always, great video planned for you. Mouth the Gate Bait, Lord Jeremy, good to see you guys. Today, we're going to be talking about the intentional destruction of the modern man. That's me, and that's you, so to speak gents that's you guys it's all of us whether you're aware of it or not it has been going on for a long time and many different people have tried to warn us about this societal people that were well they would have called them fringe and a little bit strange back in the day but the honest truth of the matter is they were just regular people men like you and i some of the most interesting things and warnings that we've received have actually been from the very vehicles of this information. What I mean by that is Hollywood movies have tried to warn us. Some Hollywood movies that were outside of the fringe of certain networks, and you might not know, but we'll dive into some of the facts today and some of the information, and I'll break in here and there, and we'll kind of have a little bit of a discussion Feel free to put your comments in the chat, boys. I've got the chat pulled up on the old uh, streaming software so I can actually interact. Hello, boys. What's going on? Let's dive into today's videos. Gentlemen, we have been warned by movies like this one. You may or may not be familiar with this. This is a very old uh, Jim Carrey movie. It was a very good movie. Um, one thing you may not know about this movie is since then, Jim Carrey has, I don't want to say gone a little, you know, loopy, because quite frankly, he was trying to escape this uh, downward progression of Holly Weird, we'll say, maybe. Perhaps he spoke against the wrong people or persons, and maybe that's why he was no longer cast in any more Hollywood movies. But let's take a look at the idea of The Truman Show and see if it applies to our modern day life, guys. Let's see if in any way we have been misled 
in the way the gentleman in this movie was. Now, again, if you're unfamiliar with the movie, don't feel bad. I've never seen it. I only know the premise of the movie, which leads me to believe that this is a pretty decent one. I haven't seen all of this. I watched the first minute of this to see if it was relevant for today's show when putting this live stream together for you men. But I assure you, just watch. It's in there. The conditioning through media, the conditioning through radio, the conditioning through Hollywood, Hollyweird. And not only that, but the trolls and or moles or people placed in your life. I don't want to say placed, but the people directly in your life who have tried to mislead you, tried to tell you not to go after your dreams, tried to tell you not to do the thing. Maybe the thing that you were interested in or the thing that you wanted to do to become the man that you were trying to become. It's quite frustrating, to be honest with you, because I've run into these people th just throughout my life. And almost everything I've ever wanted to do, attempted to do, tried to do, it's frustrating because I know that you men have dealt with the same thing. We're going to be looking at three different movies today. We're going to be breaking them down all in the exact same manner that we're about to do this one. And we're going to kind of think about how this has impacted men, masculinity, the idea that a man needs a catalyst, a man needs a battle, a protagonist, a man needs a challenge to rise to. Think about it like this, men. Do you know any men who have come from the dirt, the bottom, and clawed their way up to actually becoming something and perhaps... As a result, it made him a better man, a not better because of the money or success, but he valued it more. On the same token, what I mean by that is, do you know a man that was mommy and daddy's little rich boy, grew up, had everything he wanted, was perhaps spoiled, morally bankrupt, maybe? Do you know that man? I'm sure all of you are familiar with what I'm talking about. You see, men need a challenge to rise to. And without that challenge, men become not just softer, but they become almost disingen in what's the word I'm looking for? Disenjointed. We miss something. We lack something. We don't know what it is because maybe we're unfamiliar that we even need a challenge, some pressure, something that proves ourselves to ourselves. Let's dive into this video and see if we can make any sense of this thing, guys. I'm sure you'll enjoy fair use, of course. Show is one of my favorite movies. It's incredibly rare for a film to be as funny, cohesive, beautifully paced, and rich in detail as The Truman Show. However, it's even rarer for a movie to go beyond this and give accurate, prophetic insights about the world. 20 years later, and The Truman Show's allegorical message is more relevant than ever. But the only way we can truly understand its meaning is by diving into the story. The film begins with a monologue from Christoph, who sets up the main premise of the movie. Truman is the unwitting star of a reality TV show centered around his life. Truman, a child abandoned at birth, has been brought up to believe that he is a normal guy living in the idyllic town of Sea Haven Island. However, Truman's entire world is a lie. All the people he knows, including his mother, his best friend, and his wife, are all paid actors. Even his mother. Guys. Even his mother. And the only reason I stop it there and I say that is because there are these people in your life that are, I don't want to say paid actors, but people who perhaps benefit 
from your blissful ignorance to your participation in their little, um, you know, they benefit from you some way or some other way. These people will benefit from you. And this is how you are used as a tool in your own destruction. Let's continue the show. Good to see you, Mouth of Gay Babes in here. The spot, good mother. Hello, dear. Good to see you, Mr. Packer. As always, NPCs, guys. Let's continue this video to see perhaps if we ourselves have been somewhat lied to or perhaps swain by the opinion of other people who would benefit from discouraging us from going after our goals or our challenges as men, the things that we need as men to feel whole as men. Sea Haven Island is also fake and is in reality just a huge setting closed by a massive dome. This gives Kristoff, the director of the Truman Show, almost complete control over Truman's world. This ranges from the ability to control the weather to the day-night cycle and even the stars in the sky. Truman's every moment is broadcast around the world, with extra funding from the show coming from product placement. From the start of the film, we see a camera implanted in Truman's bathroom mirror. Where and right there, I want to point out that this wouldn't even be necessary today. And of course, I'm not implying that anything like this is going on. I'm only going to compare the obvious of how he was manipulated by people around him, people he loved, people he trusted, people who wanted to hold him back from leaving this life of servitude, of slavery for their own entertainment, and this tele television show that he was unwittingly participating in. We see here and throughout this different movie, this movie that he's looking into cameras steadily placed in different places that he wouldn't notice them. Looking here in his bathroom mirror, in today's modern world, you wouldn't even need to do this. We all carry cameras around with us all the time. Listening devices, microphones, I'm part of that. Let's dive back in. Truman is pretending to be an explorer whilst getting ready for work. It's as though this is just another regular day for Truman, with him saying hello to his neighbors, making a coffee, and getting into his car. But just as he's getting into his car, a stage light drops from the sky right onto the road outside of his house. Truman then walks over to inspect the light and sees that it says Sirius on it, referring to the brightest star in the night sky. But eerily, on his drive to work, the radio starts to run a story about a plane wreckage falling from the sky in order to explain the light. Here's a news flash just then. An aircraft in trouble began shedding parts. As Almost like the system in power over his life, dominion over him, explaining away every possible thing that he might question to make sure that he doesn't become too aware or too curious because keeping him under their thumb is necessary for the show to continue. It then starts to talk about the dangers of flying, which is one of the first of many subtle ways that Kristoff tries to influence Truman into staying on the island through fear. He is being subconsciously controlled by the radio. This subconscious manipulation then continues throughout the film. Like when Truman is asked by his boss to deal with something that will require a boat trip. By doing this, the boss is setting up Truman's aquaphobia as we see he is unable to even get in the boat. A phobia that's later revealed to be another subconscious manipulation of Truman. This whole day feels very strange for Truman, so he hurriedly comes back to his wife Meryl, who then conspicuously shows off her new kitchen tool that she bought at the store, showing it off almost like she's advertising it. It's a Dicer Grater Peeler all-in-one. Never need sharpening, dishwasher safe. Truman becomes suspicious, and when- I mean, think about that. The idea that even his lovely bride, a fake, an actor, someone manipulating her, him, for her own 
betterment because she's a paid actor, actress, whatever. And she is making money, not only off of, you know, getting him to go along with this lie, but off of the endorsement deals of the TV show of the Truman Show movie. Now it's with his best friend Marlon, Truman's behavior starts to be off, and he brings up his desire to leave and go to Fiji. Wanting to do something different, wanting to chase his manhood, his masculinity in and of itself, wanting something new, some change, something different. But people in this movie and in your own personal life will tell you no. Will tell you you shouldn't. Will tell you you don't need to. That will be dangerous. You shouldn't do that. Stay here. Continue being my blind friend, unaware to the level of, yes, Malfa Gay, but I think that was a given regardless because she was a woman. Psych, no offense, ladies. Whoops. Too harsh, sorry. Marlin catches that Truman is starting to wake up, so he quickly shoots down the idea. He doesn't want Truman escaping. That would break the whole game. In yep. the next scene, we see Truman go off to spend some time on the beach, where he remembers the tragic boat accident that seemingly killed his father and gave him his aquaphobia. Christoph then even heightens Truman's misery by adding a specific path of rain to follow Truman. And with Truman's breakdown growing, we see the audience's engrossed reactions. It's all these early scenes that serve to illustrate that the fictional Truman you see, as his suffering increases throughout the movie, the audience of the TV show that he's unaware that he's participating in loves it. The ratings go higher. Everyone loves to watch in his ignorance, his misery, his suffering, because that gets more ratings than his happiness. That gets more ratings than if he had become aware and gone off on his own to do his own thing, to chase being a man. People will hold you back because you can benefit them more by being in your place, little boy. The show can only function when Truman buys into this false reality. The Truman Show, therefore, has to make sure that Truman can't escape his cage, or even see that he's in a cage. If he knows that he's in a cage, the whole game collapses. The ways that Kristoff keeps Truman deluded are the most striking aspects of the allegory. The most obvious and egregious of these is how Truman is kept complacent by exploiting his deepest fears. For example, Truman's aquaphobia works perfectly to keep Truman on the island. Christoph Through misdirection, they control him. Because if he finds out about the TV show, if he finds out what's actually being done to him, he wouldn't like it. The show would be over, right? If he finds out that he's been manipulated, he wouldn't care for it. He would want to break that cycle. But they want the cycle to continue, right? even risks Truman overcoming this fear when he sends Truman to unsuccessfully board the boat. The fact that Truman can't overcome his phobia only reinforces this. Truman is also constantly barraged by propaganda and subliminal messages to Propaganda and subliminal messages. Things to let him know that if he tries anything, he will fail. Guys, while this is a bit of a stretch on the actual, I want you to understand that the manipulation and the tools of manipulation are the same. This is just one way of implicating it, but it is, it is the same, you know. 
Due to fear of flying, there are constant reminders of the dangers of flying. It takes this rampant fear mongering to keep Truman's delusion alive. However, this time the propaganda starts to weaken. Truman still fantasizes about taking a flight to Fiji. His aquaphobia is still strong, but it's revealed that this is most likely because it originates from the undressed guilt over Truman's father's death. But it's not just the fear that influences Truman. The control that Christoph has over his world is total. Everything Truman takes in on a daily basis is designed with a secret purpose. The TV he watches reinforces the message. The media always has headlines directly promoting whatever they want Truman to believe. Even the people that Truman talks to on a daily basis spout the same canned lines and positive affirmations. Propaganda is seeping into every aspect of Truman's life and society. Do you think I'm flying somewhere? Nope. Oh, good. A lot like its infiltration. The NPCs, so to speak. The NPCs of our society. Just like Truman, we're always bombarded with propaganda just to keep us complacently unaware of the delusions of modern ideology. Every because if you woke up and actually lived your life as a man with a fire in your heart and a desire in your soul to do something, to become something, to fight something, the game would be up. They need you and me complacent. They don't want you capable of critical thought. And that's why you are bombarded by what to think. It's on every radio, every billboard sign, every Hollywood movie, every TV show, every subscription service. Don't want you to have too much free time. Every day society tells us who we are, what we ought to do, and who our enemies are. Just like Yes, Todd, I am going to cover the movie They Live, but it will be a separate video. Today's movies will be three different ones, The Truman Show, and two others that I'm just going to keep a secret until we get there. It'll be good, though. I think you'll enjoy. Both of them are highly rated movies that every man probably likes at least a little bit. Like Truman, we're encouraged to ignore the clues that we're living in a lie, where we're made to still become wages in the matrix, and then everyone who buys into the societal delusion helps perpetuate it. This means that lots of well-meaning rational people are swept up to become mouthpieces of a failing system. The cracks are present in both reality and fiction. They just exist solely on the personal level for Truman, rather than the societal level that we're starting to see. But what is the society-wide delusion? Well, in The Truman Show, it's obvious and literal. It's the premise of the movie. The Truman Show is a reality show. But how does this translate into to our real world. Well, this is where it gets interesting. The habitus is a tool used by sociologists for describing the ways in which a society's culture functions. Society rests upon an enormous amount of unsaid rules and expectations. These are often performed without thinking about them. It's more like a learned skill than a conscious decision. Bourdieu, the French intellectual who brought the term to prominence, often compared it to sports. People tend to know the rules of the game. For example, it's generally accepted that when you're finished at the supermarket, you return your shopping cart. There's no personal reward or egotistic incentive, it's just a learned, polite, expectation. In the context of the supermarket though, it's very important. The whole system would collapse without it. Some abstracts of the habitus are nearly invisible because they seem so natural to us. Even your taste in music or food are influenced by the habitus. This is because the cultural expectations that the habitus instills go so deep. They're established from the moment you're born. The moment you're born. What to listen to, what to watch. What did the other human beings listen to and watch? And are you weird if you don't do exactly what they do? If you don't wear your pants the way they do? If you wear different shoes than they wear? Are you different? Are you weird? Reinforced throughout your childhood by your family and then further built upon by your education and work. This then makes the habit- Your public education, your public government funded education.
habitus, a self-perpetuating structure. Those brought up in certain habitus will nurture its specific values in their children, for example, making sure the cycle continues. The Truman Show gives a literal picture of what a habitus can look like. We can see all the actors in the fictional Truman Show as being sucked into this. The actors act in certain learned ways in order to perpetuate the essence of the Truman Show. Ooh, what's going on, buddy? I saw your live stream earlier and got in and tried to comment, but I think you had it inadvertently set for children because it was not allowed to, uh, it didn't have comments on it. Sometimes YouTube does that by default and you have to switch it. Now, the key difference between fiction and reality is the incentive. Literally, the actors in the fictional Truman Show are being paid to play their parts, but in the real world, people play their parts in the habitus because the Mr. International, we are in movie number one, The Truman Show, right now. Habitus itself has conditioned them into it. Everyone is one of the actors. Everyone makes the delusion real. And what The Truman Show goes on to tell us is that when the habitus has been altered into something too detached from an authentic society, cracks start to show, when lies start to perpetuate, when the ego gets in the way, when power corrupts. When the ego gets in the way, they mean when Truman's own masculine desire for something different, something new, when that happens, it puts the entire system, his life system, in jeopardy. Not that different than the society we live in now. You see, they're upset about men going their own way. They don't want men going their own way. And you have to ask yourself, why would it bother them? Why would they care? I mean, why should they care that men wouldn't want to participate in their little activities? Their little games and manipulations. Why would they care if men go to other areas looking for women? Why would it matter to them? That's the interesting question. The habitus starts to break, and this ripples throughout entire civilizations. See, throughout the movie's progression, we see Truman gradually wake up to the delusion that has consumed his life, which inevitably causes a breakdown of the entire habitus. The further Truman moves towards truth, the faster the delusion collapses, and thus the more resistance he faces. The habitus of our world is just as deluded as the one in the Truman Show. This is because what's valuable culturally has been drastically changed by reality TV and drastically changed by the influencers. TV, movies, Hollyweird, music. Everything that used to be right is now left, and everything that used to be wrong is now right. Right? social media. The Truman Show almost predicted this with its commentary on reality TV. The vapid values of reality TV expanded to shape the entire habitus. Now limited to reality TV and this doesn't seem too harmful, but it gets so much worse when you consider this in our own reality, especially with the effects of social media on our values. Nowadays everyone's the star of their own reality TV show. People project vapid and unattainable standards by advertising a fake life on social media. That 14 year old girls who use social media more than five hours a day saw a 50% spike in depression symptoms. This feeds into people's values. They see other people's fake lives and hold their own up to the same standard. These people then perpetuate the cycle, which then brings the habitus further and further away from authenticity and truth. Corporatization of society is then also reflected in the habitus of both the Truman Show and in our own society. In the Truman Show, the effects are obvious. Truman's wife is constantly advertising and shinning brands. It's almost a learned response that has been ingrained into her. You really ought to that's interesting. Our children are learning this now to be brand spokespersons, to take deals, sponsorships, which I understand is what it is. But the idea of doing that while living the lie of manipulating another human being is an interesting one.
And it's not so far-fetched when you look at the idea of marriage, dating, relationships in modern world. Throw out that mower. Get one of those new elk rotaries. Which is why at this point, Truman is actively interrogating her on the lie that they've been living. In response, Truman's wife defaults to an almost robotic speech about a coffee brand. This is the habitus failing. Truman's wife is so deeply submerged in the Truman Show delusion that she has no other response. She just keeps reading the same script. But it's so much worse in our own society where our habitus is so heavily corporatized, with corporate values being held in such a high regard that we value our careers more than our families. Never before in history has this happened. Truman's suspicions of reality are then brought and I would like to point out that it used to be considered square and lame to be one of the government stoolies, one of the everything go along with them. It used to be cool to be the outcast, the one that was trying to get away from the system. But now, if you're the one that doesn't want to be part of this system, you're the problem. You're the strange one. You are the weird one. And everyone else will run to tell daddy government, this person isn't playing the game. It's interesting, huh? What's up again when his father, who he assumes is dead, shows up on his way to work dressed as a beggar. Dad? Truman's father is then quickly whisked away on a bus. But not before Truman sees his face, he realizes something is up. So he goes to talk to his mother, who tries to explain away his father's reappearance. By uh-huh. Pay, pay, pay close attention, guys. This is, uh, this is an interesting part. Would she lie to her quote-unquote son? Suggesting that he's just crazy and hallucinated it. This time, it doesn't convince Truman, who also notices how often his wife name drops brands. As Truman starts to go through his old things, the movie flashes back to Truman's college years and a chance encounter he had with a woman named Lauren. Lauren's meant to be a background character, but the two sides meet across the room. They share a conversation in a romantic moment on the beach. Lauren then goes out of character to try to reveal to Truman that his whole reality is fake. Listen to me. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows everything you do. They're pretending to do, do you understand? Everybody's pretending. Lauren, who reveals her real name as Sylvia, tries to explain that Truman's world is a lie. But then again, she stops short by a man saying he is her father and that she's just talking nonsense. As Truman starts to think back to this, it's revealed that he still longs to see Sylvia, with him even recreating her face from fashion magazines, because Sylvia is the only thing that's real in this fake world. It's then later revealed that Truman is obsessed with Fiji as Sylvia is reported to be moving there. Truman then starts to see more and more suspicious things. His radio specifically describes his every move in an apparent malfunction. Truman's also seeing every part of the background set, but he's always escorted away from it. This sequence of events brings his suspicions to a breaking point, as Truman concludes that it seems that his entire world revolves around him in some weird way. Fearing that he's going crazy, he brings up these questions to Marlon, his best friend. Who his best friend. He then just tries to brush it all off, and in response to his increased suspicion, Truman is then further barraged by suggestions that everything is just fine, that he's just being weird. His mother then shows fake pictures of him at Mount Rushmore, and even the TV runs a program about the benefits of a small town life. But by now, things don't work like they used to. He's seeing the society that he lives in starts to crack. It's also laughable and ridiculous. This whole thing is a facade. And now that Truman is waking up- <laughs> This whole thing is a facade. Simply a glitch in the matrix. 
to this reality, the lullabies of deception can't draw him back to sleep. After noticing that his wife is crossing her fingers in his wedding pictures, Truman follows her to work. Despite multiple attempts by extras to delay and stop Truman from seeing the surgery that his wife is helping with, Truman breaks into the hospital and sees the fake surgery being played out by actors who have no idea what they're doing. Determined to leave, Truman then visits a travel agency. By this point, Truman's had enough. He's determined to leave. He wants to escape the sick society, so he tries to book a flight to Fiji, but the clerk says they're all sold out for at least a month. So then Truman tries to get a bus out, but it conveniently breaks down just before leaving. Truman then sitting in a car at home, waits for his wife to come back from work. When she does, she gets in the car with him as he points out the clockwork regularity of the people who go past their road. Unsatisfied with her unrealistic reaction to this, Truman then locks the car and takes Meryl on an impromptu road trip. To everyone around him, he seems like he's having a breakdown. He's breaking the rotten habitus surrounding him. But then instantly, traffic jam starts, stopping Truman in his tracks. Truman then pretends to go back home, which disperses the traffic completely, but then turns right around and makes his way out of the suburbs and onto the road. Once they reach the bridge which stands between Truman and the mainland, it seems that his conditioned aquaphobia will stop his escape plan. All the conditioning and propaganda is the only barrier to his freedom. However, Truman overcomes his fears by closing his eyes and forcing Meryl to steer the car while he holds down the accelerator. Once they're over the bridge, other obstacles are set up by Kristoff to try and stop Truman from leaving. Truman even drives through a wildfire, but is stopped by a roadblock due to a convenient leak at the nearby power plant. In desperation, Truman tries to get through on foot, but is tackled and subdued by men in hazmat suits, who take him back home. The implausibility of all these events cement Truman's skepticism of the world around him. Which brings up the question, how many so-called emergency events in our own world could be equally implausible? Interesting, isn't it? I mean, you think, how many things could possibly go on that would make you calmer, subdued to this, this type of behavior? Hmm, Todd Packard, good point. Great point, Todd. All the lies told by our media, all the false narratives pushed onto us, all the divisions sowed by algorithms in the news, all these layers of fallacy that have been embedded into every aspect of society. We all have the means to stop this nonsensical fictional reality that we abide by, and yet we choose not to confront it. When anyone does, they are breaking the habitus surrounding them, which threatens the whole house of cards the society is built on, which is why true authentic reality is always outrunning our apprehension. So then how can we ever know the truth when the lens we look through is tainted by a corrupted habitus, tainted by all the models and distractions that we don't even acknowledge. If we can't comprehend true reality, we no longer know what truth is. We don't have a grasp on what our values really are. And that's the problem with society right now is no one has this grasp for this own sense of self because everyone's plugged into the same corrupt system. And I'm not suggesting that we really have much choice in going about the mundane, mundane, excuse me, monotonous, everyday types of things that we do. But the greatest strength you has, have as a man is not to play this game, to avoid it as much as possible, to go your own way, literally, to go your own way. Not just with women, but with this entire shit show that we pretend like everything is normal. Oh, it's okay. Everything that is right is left. It's okay. Everything that used to be wrong is now right. And all the things that used to be right and good and pure are now wrong. And it's this flattening of our values, of our society, of our culture that dampens our outrage and emotion. Everything becomes muted by our postmodern reality. In The Truman Show, Truman's deserved outrage at the cage he has been trapped in is never tapped into. He's never but he feels the outrage none the same. This is a same 
format that you will see in the three movies we discussed today, guys. The exact same thing of men in these movies, men, mankind, being trapped in this cage they're unaware of. This thing that holds them back from their ultimate destiny based on whether it's safety or don't behave like this or this is toxic masculinity. How can you think for yourself? Never angry. Instead, he's always left in a state of confusion and distraction. He's meant to feel crazy by searching for the truth. This is because for the show to be successful, it relies on Truman and his belief in the society around him. If he starts questioning this, then society goes down with him. So society has to prevent him from questioning the habitus he is surrounded by. And aren't we any different? Is this why we live in a culture without soul or value? Where everything we think and do is shrinked down by reductionism. Where the phenomena of nature, personality, the essence of life is just reduced to statistics and banal labels. Our world is filled with mystery and wonder. It's filled with adventure, but our world is being reduced to nothing more than a banal monotonous cage, numbing us into this bored, flaccid, apathetic state, which is what the Truman Show tries to show us. Once home, Truman is now feeling like an animal in a cage. His wife, unable to calm him down, offers him some coffee with a less than subtle product placement. Truman immediately senses out the fact that she is performing for someone, and so he confronts her about it. He's starting to reject this ridiculous reality he is surrounded by. Her response is you know, gaslighting gentlemen. You're all familiar with gaslighting. I'm assuming that's why you're here on the Gone With John show. This is the you're crazy. Oh, you're being silly. Oh, no, you're just catching on to the fact that you're being in this usury relationship. You're just catching on to the fact that there are lies and things that are being hidden from you. Maybe it's her cheating. Maybe it's whatever. But it's the same narrative. You are catching on to it. So you must be problematic. You must be the issue. You must be abusive. You must be controlling. You must be crazy, right? Because of this, he seems crazy, which is why then the actor of Truman's wife begins to break character and pulls out a sharpened kitchen utensil to defend herself. Right. Anyone witness anything like this in your personal life? It's these sorts of cracks in the show that only happen when Truman stops believing in it. Like in our world, we're now starting to see the rise of political outsiders. We're seeing the rise of extremism and a general apathy of all the people who refuse to believe in our current system. With our government starting to collapse with war imminent, no one trusts our broken society. And in the case of The Truman Show, it's this unraveling madness that almost ends with Truman's wife revealing her acted role. Only until Truman's lifelong friend Marlon bursts in at the last minute and whisks Truman away to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation. But at this point, it's like putting a band-aid on a gaping wound. The floodgates are now open and Truman's belief is dwindling. In this scene, the two are sitting near the river and begin reminiscing. Kristoff through Marlon reassures Truman that Truman's life has meaning and is normal. He comforts Truman. Of course, as long as you play the game of, as long as you are the dutiful provider, as long as you do exactly what you're told and nothing that you want to do, everything will be just fine by assuring him that if what Truman believed was real, then everyone would have to be in on it, including him. Though th and they are. Weird, huh? This isn't possible as Marlon would never lie. On the surface, Truman seemingly takes this into heart, but deep down he knows that Marlon is just a victim of the game, and so he deliberately shows to him that he bought the ruse. He knows that Marlon isn't a bad person, but that he's not a real person. Morning arrives and Truman- An NPC. You see, a lot of the people in our own daily lives, they're not bad people. Many of them aren't even aware that they are an NPC. A mouth breather, shout out to Coach Greg. You know, they, they don't realize that they're looking out for you 
actually holds you back from a bigger purpose, a bigger thing that you might be meant for. Guys, I faced this. I won't say at the hands of who or whom, as the case is, but if you want to try to do something great, if you want to accomplish something big, bigger than yourself, you have to believe, you know, in your heart, you have to be nuts enough to think that you could do it, that it is possible because other people have done it. You see, I always believed I could be a YouTuber. I could do YouTube content and someone somewhere might actually watch it, might enjoy it. One day it was one person and then one day it was five people and then one day it was almost 11,000 people. But through my life, even in the last nine years of doing this, the number of people, friends, family members, co-workers, people that said, well, that's, isn't that kind of silly? Isn't that a little immature? Why would you want to do that? I mean, you want people watching you? Why would you want to do this? Isn't this immature? Isn't this a waste of your time? NPCs, guys. Roman seems to be back to his old self. He draws with a bar of soap on in the morning. He has the usual conversations with his neighbors and co-workers and seems interested in a new office mate he will have next to him. Evening rolls around and everything seems business as usual with Truman fast asleep. However, Kristoff senses something is off. Truman fell asleep in the basement rather than his bed. So Marlon is again sent over with a six pack to investigate and talk Truman back to sense. However, this time he finds that Truman isn't there and has escaped from the house. Kristoff calls for all actors to search for Truman and for the first time in the show's history cuts the transmission. However, even with all the actors searching the entire set, Truman cannot be found. At his wit's end, Kristoff has the set illuminated into daylight mode early, and on a hunch, has the team begin looking through the cameras near the harbor and on the boat. After cycling through a few cameras, the team finds Truman aboard a sailboat, and Kristoff gives the call to resume transmission. After a few moments of peace sailing, Kristoff is then faced with a dilemma. He either continues the transmission at risk of Truman finding the truth, or he gets rid of Truman entirely. So he decides to send a violent storm above Truman's boat. Kristoff increases the violence of the weather, but after a few long minutes, relents. Amidst this, Truman shows his willingness to die for the truth by shouting to the sky, is this the best you've got? Kristoff, in godlike stupor, descends to send the most violent bout of weather yet, all to the dismay of his crew and producer. Truman, however, holds on, but is knocked unconscious. But at the last minute, Kristoff rescinds the weather and removes the storm, resuming the tranquil waters. Truman regains consciousness and begins sailing his boat again. He has beaten the storm and the sea seems to be in his favor. However, he has beaten the storm. Guys, you will be tested. You will have everyone throw everything at you if you ever do decide to do something great or different or of your own will. You will have everyone come at you with all kinds of things. You can't do it. You shouldn't do it. You. This is the destruction of modern men. The allowing people in your life to control you, to tell you that you shouldn't have the balls to try this. You shouldn't have the gall to try this. You shouldn't have this thought, this desire for something in your life, whether it's to climb the highest mountain, to ascend to the highest status and rank in some business or company or corporation. You shouldn't want this. This is for other people, but it's not for you. 
However, after a few minutes, the bow of Truman's boat launches through the side of the set, leaving a big hole in the sky dome. By now, all of Truman's suspicions have been confirmed, and, in an ecstasy, begins punching the wall. However, the reality of Truman's situation begins to dawn on him as he sees the ramp at the end of the water. Truman walks across this ramp, walking on the water. The audience is gripped. The culmination of his 30 years in the Truman Show seems to be at its finale. Truman locates a staircase and slowly ascends to the side of the set. At the top, he locates the door labeled Exit and opens it, revealing the abyss beyond his realm. A godlike voice then thunders through the sky, as Kristoff reveals that Truman was the star of a TV show with the whole world watching. Truman asks, was nothing real? And in response, Kristoff responds that Truman is real, and that's what made him so enjoyable for millions. Kristoff then tries to keep Truman in the set, by indicating that there was no more truth out in the real world, and that in the world he created for him, he had nothing- There's nothing else out there for you. Nothing beyond what you see, what they allow you to see. Whether it be people in your life that would hold you in your position currently, this could be friends, family member, your job, it could be so many different things. And I'm not suggesting that it's anything quite as nefarious or intentional as this, but certainly the removing of, mascul of masculine traits from men is intentional. This is happening. The next two movies we're going to look at will explain this in greater detail, We've still got plenty of time, boys. Thing to fear. The ignorance was bliss. After a few moments of silence, Truman looks up at the camera and says his final words before leaving the show. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. It's Truman's overriding impulse to return to what is real that makes the entire show fall apart. His drive to understand true reality is enough to bring down the false reality he'd been living in. As he goes through the door, this symbolizes Truman taking back control and turning back on a sterile, hollowed out reality. And today, we're in the same process. The increasingly ridiculousness of our society and the habitus that we're servile to is beginning to crack. With our world, economy and culture crumbling into the ground, we're seeing a rejection of this tired system. We're seeing new waves of younger generations dropping out of the workforce, rejecting the habitus imposed on them, and millions taking the untrodden path, which is causing society to reach a crossroads. We're faced with a new path, because those in control of our reality are now making a new one, a path of metaverses and virtual AI reality to take us astray from our current world, and the other path is a reversion back to what is truly felt. Nature. Just the circadian rhythms of our life, the sun rises, the sunset, water flows, nature it is the best path guys many of you ask me why i love fishing so much it's because it's the one thing that isn't quite um planned you can go and spend hours and catch nothing or you can catch the entire time it's nature acting on nature's own accord without the influence of everything that is modern but whichever path we take, our belief in society is falling apart. The cracks are starting to show everywhere you look, and the game is collapsing in on itself. So the question is, where does it go from here? I have a quick important announcement to make. I'm sick of being demonetized on YouTube. I'm sick of censoring these videos for the YouTube algorithm. So this is going to change. Every month, I'm going to be releasing unfiltered, raw, controversial videos for you. Sounds fantastic. Guys. Thank you so much for watching that first movie with me. Have you hit subscribe yet? Have you hit the like button on this video? Have you hit the bell? Only 15% of my subscribers have hit the bell. Yet I get so many complaints from guys. I didn't get a notification. I didn't know. Well, maybe you haven't hit the bell. Or maybe Mother YouTube is just not really a fan of what we do here. It's got to be that one because, well, 10,000, almost 11,000 subscribers and we've got... 
42 loyal awesome bastards in here watching that's you guys thank you very much appreciate you let's dive into the next movie guys now i know this is going to be controversial because we're not supposed to talk about this one you know what i'm saying guys of course you do let's make sure we are at the right spot here and dive in fair use also i would like to point out that this individual video i want to thank tribe of men for even though he's not the original producer of this video he is someone that i got the idea for this video's placement in my live stream today so video is brought to you by whoops guys let's bring the audio in i apologize give me one second here let's monitor and output this because we will need it should be good to go can you guys hear my voice let's make sure that's in there as well Somebody drop it in the comments. Do you hear my voice? You should hear my voice, but just in case, we'll make sure. Can you guys hear me okay? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna fix it. Sorry. <laughs> thank you, thank you. movie get a whole month free at movie.com slash do cinema fight club has been warning us the idea of what it means to be a man is destabilizing in modern society recently a lot of characters have gained renewed interest among young men it's always the characters who are battling something they have a protagonist can you guys hear the video as well drop it in the comments and let me know doing so many different new things here i want to make sure it's all working Yes, they are actively the best movies are the ones about a man who is battling an uphill battle, a protagonist, guys. You know what I mean? Uh, some man who is up against a struggle, and it's an inner struggle to be himself, to find himself, and he can't because of the things in place by society at large. ...them, literally me. By analyzing those movies that dive deeper into the psyche of men, maybe we can get a grip on why men find them so relatable and understand the so-called crisis of masculinity. What does it mean to be a man in a modern age? Okay, let's start with the most important theme in American Psycho, conformity. Because at its core, that's what this movie is all about. And Fight Club touches on this as well. Conformity. Be like everyone else. Don't you want love? Don't you want a relationship? Don't you want a wife? Don't you need a house and a white picket fence? You need the SUV, right? You want the one with the shiny wheels? You want the one with the good package, right? You want the lowest interest rate. You want to fit in. You want the best, newest furniture. You're supposed to want that, right? Now be a good little consumer and get on board with the plan here. Patrick Bateman is living a fancy lifestyle as an investment banker on Wall Street. He's living healthy, eating a balanced diet, and doing rigorous exercise routines. Every morning, he's applying thousands of layers of beauty products to craft the perfect version of himself. Why? Because he simply wants to fit in. I want to fit in. Down to the haircuts, the suits, the business cards, it all shows that these men think they're individual and unique. 
but they aren't. However, the lyrics of the song Hip To Be Square explains that it's okay to be normal, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends, it's also a personal <laughs> All right, let's cut it there. You see, in Fight Club, they don't like conformity that much. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. Because you're not supposed to conform. You're supposed to be your own man, your own boss, your own leader. But you're not controllable like that. Tyler Durden is the god of masculinity, trying to break the main character free from his conformist lifestyle and boring job. The narrator is suffering from insomnia and is obsessed with creating a self-image that is socially acceptable, similar to Patrick Bateman. Because you want to fit in, and I think this is why so many young men today find themselves applying makeup and skinny jeans and not sure what sex they are because they want to fit in. They want to be normal, quote-unquote, of course not normal, but they want to be what society dictates they should be. They want to be accepted by the system. And it's that fight against the system that has control of you that will free you. He doesn't really have a way to express himself in a society where everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. All he does to feel unique is turn to consumerism and buy furniture that he felt defined him best as a person. Director David Fincher said, we're designed to be hunters and we're in a society of shopping. Hmm. That's, that's pretty rich right there, guys. We are designed to be hunters. We are designed for the struggle, the hard struggle. Not in this world of consumerism, this world of I want the bigger, better SUV than my neighbor Bob, but I want, I desire, my internal makeup needs a battle to be fought, to be won. To be the hero, which has, of course, been part of our downfall. You want to save Milady? Don't you want to be the chivalrous knight? The one who comes through and saves the day? Her hero. It's part of our nature and it's used against us as a control mechanism. There's nothing to kill anymore, nothing to fight, nothing to overcome, and nothing to explore. In that societal emasculation, this every man is created. Patrick Bateman and the narrator in Fight Club create consciously or unconsciously alter-egos that allow them to exhibit their masculinity and escape a culture that no longer accepts such behavior. They're not the only two characters that have been struggling with this duality of a man. Because in Nightcrawler, Taxi Driver and Drive, the main characters are also on the verge of frenzy. Just on like Patrick Bateman- On the verge ba of frenzy. You see, it's ingrained in us. Not the, you know, bad frenzy, but the unbelievable desire and push of a man to accomplish something different, something more, to be more than just another cog in the wheel, another NPC going about his day, doing everything, just like the next good little consumer. Bateman's urge to fit in, both Travis Bickle and Lou Bloom are trying to fit into society by getting a regular job. But because they don't really have the premier education to fit this ideal of an office job, Travis starts working as a taxi driver late at night to deal with his insomnia. And after Lou Bloom gets rejected, he starts nightcrawling as well, and finds a way to make money out of filming crime scenes. 
There are actually many parallels between these two movies. Not only is the poster of Nightcrawler an obvious homage to Taxi Driver, both characters are also very ambitious and goal-oriented men. Ambitious and goal-oriented men. Hmm. Almost dirty words today. Unless, of course, your ambition is to be part of the system. That are capable of doing anything, and I mean anything, to eventually reach their end goal. Lou lives in modern-day LA in a time where everyone is obsessed with personal gain and success. This causes him to create a form of predatory masculinity, hunting down his prey like a lone wolf every night in order to film the crime scenes and sell them to the news stations. His greed is good mentality makes him persistent and uses this to become the top predator in his business. He is kind and respectful for the sake of social acceptance, but very narcissistic and tunnel-visioned for his own financial gain. Kind or acceptance. His will, his natural being, being held back, of course. Lou Bloom literally goes to that animal state of masculinity and releases the beast within man. He even looks like a hungry predator that uses his manipulative instincts to trap and catch his prey. Similarly, Travis Bickle drives around the dangerous and dirty streets of New York City at night. Travis is a forgotten and ignored victim of the working class through the rise of capitalism in big cities. One day he hopes to clean it all up and become the hero of the city. A desire to be the hero? That will repeat itself. All the animals come out at night. So from a place of morality, from a place of, you know, righteousness, not wanting to see the decay of society. From there, a real rain will come and wash all the scum off the streets. Travis feels lost by the city life, and after getting rejected by Betsy, he starts to cut and paste together what he believes is a masculine, heroic identity. He starts training like a soldier, handling guns like a cowboy, and dressing up like a veteran. All pop cultural elements that form his idea of a hyper-masculine hero that'll be there for the people. But in reality, he starts to become ultra-violent and reckless. This hyper-masculinity is one that relies on ancient ideas of heroic behaviors, such as being a knight or cowboy that rescues princesses and fights the bad guys, which makes Travis live a life between fact and fiction. Walking contradiction. You saying that about me? Well, who else would I be talking about? Travis gets caught up in this duality of a man, which is slowly sending him down the wrong path. This brings us to the movie Drive, because similar to Taxi Driver, it involves the notion of portraying the masculinity of a hero versus being a real hero. The driver is a stuntman and mechanic by day, but at night, he works as an independent getaway driver for criminals. A stunt driver's job is to literally maintain the illusion of the hero in a fictional film, and the driver therefore spends a good time of his life pretending to be a hero. In an interview, Ryan Gosling adds, I think Driver is somebody who's seen too many movies, and he's made himself the hero of his own action film. He's just kind of lost in the mythology of Hollywood. Sometimes you have to make yourself the hero of your own movie, guys. Obviously not at the expense of others, but no one will come to save you. If you want to save someone, if you want to be the hero, you're the one in distress. But as soon as the driver meets the perfect girl, Irene, it gets very interesting and the crossover between Travis Bickle becomes more apparent. 
the driver starts to feel pressure because of his contradictory lifestyle. On the one hand, he doesn't want to take part in the patriarchy of the criminal world and chooses to be a silent, emotionless and nameless character. On the other hand, he's repressing his humanity, but meeting with Irene is his way of reclaiming it. However, it's not that easy to escape. Discipline equals freedom. Good point. I like the movie Drive. It teaches men don't mess with single moms. That's the truth. True blood. Good to see you, man. Escape from the criminal world. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. Just like Travis Bickle, who, surrounded by impure and evil beings, becomes obsessed with saving a 12-year-old prostitute named Iris, the driver feels a sense of protectiveness for Irene as well, and will do everything, even resorting to extreme violence, to protect Irene and her child. Because it is exactly that purity and innocence that both of these characters have lost, that they are now trying to rescue and protect. Where Travis Bickle and the driver differ is that Travis wants to leave his mark on this world, but the driver just wants to be happy and the same for his loved ones. However, they both have the opportunity to become a real hero as a- The best advice I can give you, man, if you want to be happy, stop searching for it. Slow down and you'll find it. It's right there, right in your grasp. But the more we search for something, the more we search for these things to make us happy, the less likely we are to find it. Sometimes happiness would be changing up your entire routine and or life, maybe moving somewhere, taking a new job, perhaps one of greater pay and or risk might give you a sense of purpose, a sense of happiness. But you won't find it turning over the same stones that you've stared at for most of your life. Opposed to being only a faceless and imaginary one. But as suggested with the lyrics of the soundtrack in Drive, a real hero is also a real human being. And that's something all of these characters have lost on the way. Patrick Bateman's obsession with trying to fit in caused him to express himself in extreme manners, and in the end, made him lose touch with humanity. I had to. She almost got away. I mean, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. Fight Club turned into a self-operating group with a cult following that now wants to overthrow all power structures in society, caused by the narrator's ultra-ego. Lou Bloom's mind is poisoned by capitalist society and the media turned him into a beast, leaving every moral code for the sake of money. The media turned him into a beast. Hmm. It's interesting that they can do that. In this fictional movie, of course, this pretend realm, the media and demonize and turn someone into a beast. In the end, taxi driver's past serving in the Vietnam War combined with his insomnia causes him to lose touch with reality and leads to his descent into madness. And the driver, well, maybe he is the real hero after all, but his suppressed emotions alienated him so much that in the end he had to sacrifice everything he had fought for. All of these movies delve into the crisis of masculinity caused by conformity in a capitalist and consumerist world. It only makes perfect sense that young men who are navigating through the world would find solace in watching these movies, as it represents an extreme example of what they experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Every young man. This may seem unhealthy to some, but it offers men a piece of media that they can hold close. In a world that so often shies away from representing these topics in a way that isn't explicitly villainizing. Shit, you're a real cowboy. That's nice. So to come back to my first question, what is masculinity in the modern age? 
Well, they often say reject modernity and embrace masculinity, but that is only as long as you can maintain your humanity. You look lonely. The words of a woman. You look lonely. You need love. Don't you want to be loved? Don't you need something? Aren't you searching for something? And a man can often think, well, maybe this is what I'm looking for. Maybe this is what will complete me. I'll get this piece of peace leave and I'll save her. I'll make her happy. We'll get the house. I'll have the job, pay the bills. We'll paint the fence. That's where my happiness will be, right? No, it will be in the difficult things that you do. The hard things, the struggle. Everything that is worthwhile is difficult. What it means to be a man will be a forever changing concept, depending on the time and place you live in on this world. But for now, what I think is that if we were to take the good characteristics of all these men, we can create an unstoppable character. With the morning routine and style of Patrick Bateman, the work ethic of Lou Bloom, the humor of Travis Bickle, the appeal of Tyler Durden and the bravery of the driver, I think we'll get pretty close to what it means to be a man. If you want to watch and discover more movies like these, you can check out good- Ah, Mr. JR, good to see you, sir. Hope everyone is having a great weekend. Thank you so much for contributing to the show, sir. Your super chats help us very much here at the old Gone With John show, guys. You can also drop a cash app. It's over on this side. It's over there at the bottom of the screen. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you very much. Appreciate that. Time, Fallen Angels, and Another Round, which are all streaming on Mubi right now. Mubi is a curated streaming... Yeah, your advertisement isn't necessary for making my point today, sir. Gentlemen, thank you so much. We've got one more movie left. You should know what movie this is. If anyone wants to guess, put it in the comments down below. Ah, did you say this one? Did anyone guess this one, guys? Can you hear me okay, guys? Let me make sure that we're on the same page. Can you hear my voice still? Can you hear the video here? Trix is one of the greatest- Did you hear that? And did you hear me? Drop it in the comments, boys, because this is a different scene that we're in now from the previous five or six scenes that we were in, so I just gotta make sure everything works smoothly. Yes and yes. Excellent. Thank you, boys. Let's dive into this one here. Any of you ever see the movie The Matrix? Just curious. Matrix is one of the greatest films ever made, hitting $460 million in just box office sales alone, and The Matrix was an instant hit. And after two decades, its relevancy continues to stand strong, with terms coined from the movies such as The Matrix and The Red Pool becoming widely adopted in modern culture. And yet- You guys ever hear about this whole red pill thing? that all about even more interestingly is that the matrix is perhaps one of the most beautifully prophetic and meaningful movies ever created in history so what is it about this film that made it so culturally important how could this movie continue to be so relevant after 20 years what was the movie tapping into well this brings us on to the bedroom of a depressed pasty software engineer a nighttime hacker called neo who is slumped over in his trash-filled room with the bleak film coloring resembling his nihilistic empty dull existence that neo lives in at the start of the matrix because of conformity, because he lived in a world where it was just NPCs every day, the same monotonous thing, no form of excitement, hunger, or drive. 
the things that make a man, the things that are being squashed right now from masculinity, because it's the things that make us hunger for these things that men, as men that make us uncontrollable, so to speak. Neo is a nihilistic man. His corporate life, a monotonous desk job, makes Neo feel that his actions don't have any effect on reality. Small details in the film make this even clearer, with Neo's flat being numbered 101, a direct reference to George Orwell's book 1984. In Orwell's book, room 101 was a torture room where people would be shown their greatest fears. In and some of their greatest fears are living the same boring life day in and day out. Some people that may not be aware of it, the unhappiness they feel, the depression that they feel is simply the same monotonous, boring bullshit every day. Sometimes it's not even loneliness that you feel, it's the desire to have something, something you're searching for. It's not typically something with tits. It's usually something bigger than you, a job, a calling, a purpose, a travel an experience, something. Some people try to fill this with facefuls of pharmaceuticals. Some people try to drink their way into this happiness. But really, it's your masculine being, the thing inside of you that is hungering for the hunt for something bigger, something different order to mold them in the state's ideal image. And Neo's life is lived inside room 101, where he is tortured by the routine and can't find any meaning in his life. So he seeks to find these answers through his double life as a hacker, but comes up empty every time. Whatever he does while locked inside the matrix has no meaning. But one day this starts to change, when he wakes up to find a strange message on his monitor, with the message telling him that the quote matrix has him and that he must follow the white rabbit. It seems as though this could just be another hacker getting back at Neo. This could all just be a prank. But then, the last thing the computer writes is knock knock Neo, just before somebody does exactly that on his door. And when Neo opens the door, he finds it's a group of people led by a man who wants to buy illicit information held on a storage device. Neo lets out a sigh of relief. This is business as usual, but after the purchase is complete, the group invites him out to the club, and right as he's about to refuse, Neo sees a white rabbit tattoo on the shoulder of one of the women. Realizing that this tattoo is part of the instructions sent by him on the computer, he accepts the invitation, knowing deep down that something is up. The decision to follow the white rabbit is the first of many decisions in Neo's rejection of the Matrix, but he doesn't quite know this yet. And so when arriving at the club, Neo is approached by a woman named Trinity, who cryptically warns him of impending danger. Neo recognizes her name as a fellow computer hacker. However, she says that was all a long time ago. Trinity then talks to Neo about his general dissatisfaction with life, as she knows that Neo is aimless. Mike, what's up, brother? Good to see you and tormented by a lack of meaning in his life. She knows that nihilism has sucked his soul, so she promises him that there will be an answer. Cut the nihilism has sucked his soul. The daily routine has become monotonous. He's accepted his fate as being this cog in a greasy, dirty machine. But it doesn't bring him happiness, he searches for something else. The next scene, and we see Neo waking up late for work, and proceeding to get chewed out by his boss. But in the back of Neo's mind are questions. Was following the white rabbit just a dream? Who was Trinity? All while Neo continues his droney, hollowed out existence, living like human cattle in an artificial box with artificial lighting, trapped inside a spiritual cage with all the other droogs. The crushing weight of his sterile existence makes Neo even more curious about the white rabbit. It's a glimpse of something different and 
something different. We've heard that before somewhere. Someone you know has said that recently. You hunger for something bigger than what you're doing. You hunger for more than just what you're doing. And you won't find that in a woman. We've all tried to find that in a woman. We've all tried to find this purpose, this meaning in life, what we're supposed to be doing. There's got to be a reason we're here other than just simply reproducing and mindlessly buying SUVs and housing. Got to be something better in a man's life, something that drives him. But we men are discouraged from doing this. We're discouraged from looking for the meaning, the bigger picture. Why is that? Why don't they want you to search for something that will give you meaning or, or happiness or sense of purpose? Because if you were to find that just for a little bit, you wouldn't be controllable. You wouldn't be that useful cog in the wheel. Ask yourself, perhaps if you ever went through a period of hardship when maybe the money wasn't as good as it used to be, did a woman cast you aside as if you were useless, replaceable, unnecessary, simply because you couldn't perform the job, the duty, the thing that she wanted you to do? Curious. Very curious service and the place to watch beautiful cinema. Every day movie premieres a new film from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. So there's always a wide variety of choices. With movie. Whoops, wrong scene boys. We'll get the hang of this thing one day, don't worry. Just as Neo continues to stay stuck behind his cubicle, he's then struck by a call from a man named Morpheus. They're coming for you Neo and I don't know what they're going to who alerts him that the danger Trinity was telling Neo about is real, and that Neo is being followed by agents. In a tense scene, Neo briefly evades some agents who have been looking for him, but Neo- Ah, uh, the great protagonists, guys. And this is when Neo's life, <clears throat> excuse me, or his purpose in the movie, this is when the true excitement of the movie begins, not for, just for you, the watcher of the story, but for Neo. The something different, the unknown, this is when the plot thickens, so to speak, and he begins to find some sense of purpose. Scared, alone, unknown, not knowing who to trust. His mind is the only thing holding him back, and Neo is actually successful in escaping the agents. He's finally taking that call to adventure. He's choosing to take his life into his own hands. Ooh. Watch that part again if you need to. This is the start of Neo breaking free from his cage, but then he comes up against his biggest challenge, as Morpheus tells Neo that the only way he can escape the agents is to walk across the ledge. But his programmed mind just can't overcome this obstacle. He doesn't believe in himself or his abilities. He's been programmed to be comfortable. He doesn't believe in himself or his abilities. He's become programmed. Guys. He's never been their real danger. So you can't do this. You shouldn't do this. Isn't this immature, John? Why would you want to be a YouTuber? No one's going to watch you, John. It's pointless to do this. This is very immature. This seems like a tremendous waste of time. Why do this, John? His strength, his mind, and ability is hampered, causing him to refuse that call to adventure. And by refusing the call, this represents Neo refusing to tackle his fear. He knows he'll be successful if he overcomes his fear, and yet his weak, anxious mind... He knows he'll be successful if he can just conquer that little bit of fear. 
is his biggest failure. His nihilism is what keeps him trapped in the Matrix, and so Neo fails to succeed, resulting in him being escorted to an interrogation room. At first Neo believes that he's being prosecuted by regular government workers, but when Neo demands to be given his rights, they seal his mouth shut, as if it was done by magic. So, in society, when we see men talking, even amongst each other, on the internet or wherever, they're silenced. They remove the ability to speak, the ability to have a, you know, discourse, a talk back and forth, a discussion. Isn't that interesting? They then implant a mechanical tracking bug into his stomach, meaning mechanical tracking bug that could follow you anywhere. Record your doings, your gummings, your goings, where you've been, who you've spoken to, maybe. Everything about you, your finances, your investments, your family, your location, what Wi-Fi networks you've connected to. In the old days, you used to be able to take the battery out of these things. You used to be able to kill the power you know, when there's no juice, this thing here can't track you. It can't locate you on the towers through triangulation. If I'm connected to this tower and this tower and that tower over there, it can triangulate my direction. If you know mathematics, you can get within about 9 meters, 18 feet, so maybe even closer by today's standard, and know exactly where I'm located at. If you know what Wi-Fi networks my phone can see, not even the one that I'm connected to, but if you know the range of the average router, if it's an in-series, and you do because every router has an IMEI, an equipment identification number, you know that if my neighbor's router can see my phone and my phone can see that router, and I can see this one here, and it can pinpoint how far and what signal strength I have from those, you could be watched. And when you could remove the battery from these phones, you could break that connectivity. Why do you think you can't remove the batteries anymore, guys? Because they didn't want them to be replaceable and sell millions of dollars in batteries from new phones so that you couldn't replace your phone, so that they couldn't just, they want you to buy new ones? No, because you couldn't be tracked would be my guess. That Neo will now always be tracked in the Matrix. He's an outlier, and outliers are the biggest threat to their society. And hmm. Outliers are the biggest threat to their society. Whether you want to be seen as a threat or not, most of, this, most of us are not a threat. But the idea that you think differently, they don't want too many people unplugging from the Matrix. And if other people were to hear what you're doing, what you're thinking, that you're unplugging, that you don't want to be part of the system, well, this could be problematic for the system. And then just like that, Neo is back in his bed, again seeming like this was all just a dream. And yet somehow, Neo is immediately called again by Morpheus, who gets Trinity and some other crew members to pick him up. Before Neo meets Morpheus, Trinity removes the bug that is tracking him, proving to Neo that this wasn't a dream. From here, Neo goes on to meet his mentor. Morpheus, who's living inside an abandoned building. Mor I always think of Keanu Reeves doing the Bill and Dave, was it Bill and Jeff? The excellent adventure guys, you know, Morpheus in that goofy voice. When I see this scene in the movie, I realize that's probably childish, but you'll never be able to unhear that. 
Orpheus confirms all of Neo's suspicions, telling him that his whole life is a lie and that he was born a slave to the Matrix. This was why he was so demasculated, becoming just another corporate drone. It was all by design. However, Morpheus then offers Neo a choice, the decision on whether to remain blissfully ignorant or learn the true nature of the Matrix. Similar to our own reality, nobody can really be told what the Matrix is. One has to experience it and find out for themselves. So Morpheus then opens up his palms, revealing the notorious red and blue pills in his separate hands. No one can be told what it is. This is not only true about the red pill and marriage and dating and relationship and, right? No one can be told about that, but there is another matrix that we are all actively plugged into, participating in, monotony, without a sense of purpose, some of us, until we decide to take the other red pill, force-fed, to us by society when we look around and we see the little boys wearing dresses and makeup and we think the teachers shouldn't be teaching this and sexualizing and grooming children allegedly youtube allegedly in his left hand lies the blue pill, Neo's ticket to blissful ignorance. If he takes this pill, Neo will simply wake back up in his bed, believing in the nihilistic system that has brainwashed him, going back to his lonely, miserable, atomized existence, all while remaining ignorant to the true nature of the world. And on the other hand, sits the red pill. Taking this pill will grant Neo access to the Matrix, allowing him to see the world for what it truly is, as nasty as it may be. This decision is the crucial point of Neo's story, and marks the first phase of Neo's hero's journey. The Hero's Journey is one of the oldest tales of mankind. It's a narrative structure that ranges from all kinds of stories, from Star Wars to the Bible. The term was coined by author Joseph Campbell. He describes this as being a deeply ingrained part of the human psyche. Deeply ingrained part of the human psyche. This is what men hunger for, his hero's journey. Society doesn't want you to have one. You're a cog. You simply go about your day, you do what you're told, you take home your salary that may or may not even be enough to keep you alive and fed, to get you the bare and essentials to belong in this modern world. The hero's journey is what masculinity is really about. Finding yourself, your purpose as a man, what you decide that should be, not what someone else decides. Men going there own way. Every man must make this decision for himself. It cannot be made by a woman. It cannot be made by a government entity. It cannot be made by a television production company. You must decide that allows humans to push through walls and do the impossible in pursuit of meaning. In the real world, the hero's journey is our path towards self-improvement and overcoming our neuroticism, anxiety, fears and laziness. Which is why right now we're seeing this whole new wave of self-improvement, serving as a counterbalance to the nihilism that's embedded so deeply in modern society. But this isn't a modern thing. In fact, many forms of Buddhism gave a similar path to enlightenment, along with so many other religions. The hero's journey is a process that's been taken by all of mankind. It's every step out of your comfort zone that brings out of your comfort zone. Steel sharpens steel. You know, it's the pressure that makes the diamonds, the pressure that makes the oil. Everything worthwhile is difficult. 
you further towards truth. It's every action that you take towards self-improvement which brings you closer to unlocking meaning in your life. And it's one of the key things that the Matrix tries to show. We see this clearly when Neo takes the red pill and the world begins to melt around him as he soon wakes up in a nightmare situation. Upon opening his eyes in the real world, Neo almost drowns trying to remove all the cables that are attached to him in a pot. Once he catches his breath and takes a look around, Neo sees the true reality of the world, a human factory farm. As far as the eye can see, there lies identical pods attached identical pods attached as batteries to the system fodder or this great machine to enormous constructs all of them containing other humans being harvested for their energy when a robot suddenly sees that Neo has managed to escape his sedation he is quickly discarded and thrown down a trash chute towards a pit filled with water luckily before drowning Neo is picked up by the claw of a ship and is subsequently rehabilitated by Morpheus and his crew. When being operated on, Neo questions why his eyes hurt. Along with his extreme muscle atrophy, Morpheus explains the reason. Neo is in a full-on breakdown because he has never actually experienced any kind of bodily autonomy. Once Neo is brought to stable condition, he is plugged into a chair and enters the Matrix along with Morpheus, because Morpheus needs to show Neo the true reality of the Matrix. At first, Neo is in disbelief that he's inside a computer program, but Morpheus questions him on if this is actually so hard to believe. He explains that if what you can feel, smell, taste and see, then what constitutes as real is simply electric signals being interpreted by your brain. After this explanation, Morpheus reveals that the outside world is in an even bleaker scenario than the one inside their home base. Yeah. He explains that after losing control of artificial intelligence, humanity decided to create a nuclear winter, believing that a lack of energy from the sun will eliminate the machines. After the nukes, the world became a wasteland, run entirely by machines, while humanity was trapped in a dream world. This dream world is the Matrix, a simulation of humanity's golden age. It is all-encompassing and never stops for the people inside it, where they live their whole lives believing that the Matrix is real. And if this wasn't heavy enough, Morpheus then springs it onto Neo that he believes that Neo is the reincarnation of a man with the power to change anything in the Matrix. He is the one. If you've been following my videos, I'm sure you know how suspicious I am of mainstream media. Oftentimes, mainstream media can be the biggest impediment to understanding the truth and keeping you stuck in our society's Matrix. Whoa. There's a pill for you. Which is why I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Ground News. Ground News shows you how breaking news is being covered across the political spectrum. They do this the entire world around him. All his friends, memories, icons, dreams are all warped for the benefit of an elite minority. It's as though the Matrix was a warning. A warning about the path modernity is taking us, where technology has infested every aspect of daily life to a point that we've attached our own psyches into the hands of a few. You see, in our age of overconsumption and mass production, the powerful must maintain constant relevance through advertising and media. By doing this, multinationals always assure continuous demand to drive continuous profits. Because if everyone unplugged from this system tomorrow, all of their advertising revenue would dry up, all of their systems would fall to pieces, the people in power would no longer be in power because attention is power. You see, this is why women love attention so much, because when they have your attention, they have control over you. You're part of their system. 
Instead of just manufacturing a particular product, companies need to manufacture the structure, the personality, the culture of the universal public. And Big Tech serves as the perfect vessel to do this. Every day of your life, Big Tech delivers you into an alternative reality, playing on your emotions, depression, fear, anxiety, hunger, lust, laughter, acting directly on your sensorium. The content you are constantly watching every hour of every day of every year is not a vision, but a manufactured data stream that can be sanitized to impose cultural values that generates immense wealth or lack of value right because sometimes it's the things that are perceived previously as wrong that become right because just the shift in it creates such a unique attention model people will be furious and outraged and get on twitter and get on facebook and get on and their outrage alone will drive the attention machine Little do we realize that every day we are chipping away our autonomy to an all-pervasive drug that delivers whatever message those dealing the drug wish it to be, providing a fertile ground for fostering technocracy. Which is why in the Matrix movie, this is symbolized by AI using human consciousness to fuel their ever-expanding empire. Neo realizes the challenge he is up against. He has to mentally and physically overcome the entire system he lived in to find true meaning, to save the entire human population. However, Neo's fears soon start to dissipate once he begins practicing and learning the inner workings of the Matrix. Back inside the program, Morpheus introduces Neo to a combat simulation inside of a dojo. So as he learns and as he becomes more aware of the constraints and the things that, uh, let's say, he operates within, he becomes more confident in himself and his abilities. This is a sparring program, similar to the programmed reality of the Matrix. It has the same basic rules, rules like gravity. What you must learn is that these rules are no different than the rules of a computer system. Some of them can be bent, others can be broken. Using a computer algorithm, Neo is able to completely understand the intricacies of Kung Fu, despite having never done so before. So Neo and Morpheus begin fighting. At the start, Morpheus is dominating. He seems unstoppable, he's flying across the room. And so when Morpheus asks why Neo lost, Neo explains that Morpheus is just too fast. But he counters this by saying that the fighting ability has nothing to do with their muscles. Cluing Neo in, Morpheus implies that Neo doesn't even need to breathe in air when inside the Matrix. So upon hearing this, Neo is able to overtake Morpheus during the second fight. He understands that the whole game is mental. If he can overcome the mental barriers inside of his mind, he can win anything. And by doing this, he stuns the whole crew watching the ordeal. This is all part of the trials and tribulations that Campbell identified in the hero's journey. It's the mental game that serves as the greatest barrier to success. This is the step that Campbell describes as the training and tribulations in his work. This step happens once the hero has entered into the unknown and serves as their introduction into the new world. For Neo, this is quite literal. The skills he will need are taught to him after he first exits the Matrix and goes back inside to train with Morpheus. Neo's teachings also bring Neo closer to the truth. The more he learns about the real world and the Matrix that he lived in, the more he experiences both of them and the further he is pushed towards the truth. Afterwards, Morpheus introduces Neo to another program inside the Matrix, one that holds everything that is expected in a real city, ranging from buildings to cars and simulated people. Morpheus explains that the Matrix is their enemy, but most people are not ready to be unplugged from it, as they are too dependent on the system. While listening, Neo's eyes are caught by a striking woman in a red dress. When she gets behind Neo, the woman- The enemy. Guys, 
suddenly changes into an agent pointing a gun at him. Morpheus then reveals that these agents are in fact sentient computer programs, fully capable of manipulating the Matrix at will. It turns out that everyone who has fought one of these agents was killed, but Morpheus, believing that Neo is the one, states that the agents will never be as strong or as fast as he can be. This dream world of the Matrix is a reflection towards fears of consumerism. You see, all these films in the late 90s were particularly concerned with this, as they saw their society become more and more focused on products and commodities. Back then you were allowed to have some fight back. Back then you were allowed to make these movies that would expose the monotony, the bullshit, the minutia that we live within, but now you can't even talk about it. It's not allowed. It's forbidden that you even have an opinion about it. But nowadays, these fears are even more prevalent. The vessel of big tech dominates everyday life in a way that we've never seen before, where human values have been chopped up and commodified for a profit, where our opinions, our values, our culture, our thoughts are all controlled by technology that has saturated everything. And the numbers show that this is increasingly leading us towards nihilism. Just look around you. The atomization, the loneliness, the depression, the anxiousness. Just as Neo's life in the Matrix- Not to worry, they sell a pill for that. Not to worry, if you experience any human emotions whatsoever, there's a doctor you can talk to who will put you on the right path to some pharmaceutical prison. Another prison made him nihilistic, to find meaning we must continue our own journey. And the nature of the Matrix strikes a resemblance to the concept known as the Habitus. The Habitus is a sociological theory that tells us that from a young age, the social convention and rules that people follow are imprinted onto your personality. These conventions aren't just habitual, but instead influence people's ways of thinking and how they see the world. And once you become part of the Habitus, your actions perpetuate the cycle for other people. The Habitus can be- Your actions perpetuate the cycle for other people much like the rules of a game. Seemingly illogical things are taken for granted and enshrined as rules. If you didn't know the rules of golf for example, the sport would just look ridiculous. Why not just pick up the ball and put it in the hole? But knowing the rules of golf means that you see this in an entirely different way. Of course, the rules of golf exist for a reason, otherwise it wouldn't be an actual game. But the Habitus has no real purpose by itself. It exists as a manifestation of the environment you grew up in. So then who controls the rules and conventions that easily influence our thoughts? When you start to ask this question about your own life, you then start to see that once you break free of the constraints placed on you, that you can finally see the world as it truly is. And the Matrix is the allegory for this. It exists as a prison that surrounds you entirely, dictating what you see, what you value, and what actions you take. But none of this is actually real. Once these conventions, once these values, once these rules are tainted too much, the cracks start to show. And in the Matrix, the cracks show when Neo breaks free. This is Neo's journey, breaking free from the constraints of falsehood. It's only through his self-improvement and search for the truth that he can his self-improvement and his search for the truth. These are things that men have been told, oh, don't worry about that, you don't have to do that. They normalized the dad bod and said that this was what women want. And of course, this isn't what women want. They want, you know, no body shaming for women, but of course they don't like fat men, short men, bald men, none of that. And they tried to tell men, well, don't be, you know, don't better yourself too much. I don't want you to look too good. I don't want you to be too in shape. I don't want you to eat too right. I don't want you to have goals and ambitions. Just go to work, bring home your paycheck, and do what I tell you to do, little boy. Behave accordingly, or I'll have you sleep on the couch that you paid for, in the house that you paid for, likely.
and finally find meaning. It's during the time of Neo's training in the Matrix that we're introduced to the character of Cypher. From the very first conversation, Cypher complains that he should have just taken that blue pill and because he's an NPC and a bit of a bitch, quite frankly, but because he would rather live a life of ignorance, bliss, so to speak. He doesn't understand that what's truly valuable is in the chase, the fight, despise the free lunch gentleman against questioning the credibility of news journey i think that's law 47 if i'm not mistaken someone can correct me it's on google if you search for it despise the free lunch together we then transition to the reveal of cypher's endgame while he's dining in a restaurant inside of the matrix being joined by agent smith willing to sell out his whole crew cypher requests to be put back inside the matrix of course not without benefits in return he wants to be a rich famous actor who doesn't remember anything about the real world here cypher's entire character is summarized as he states the line ignorance is bliss meanwhile neo morpheus and some other that's our society at large today guys the more ignorant it becomes the quote-unquote happier it feels theoretically but in reality the more we see the rise of pharmaceutical needs i think it's 25 percent one in four women are on head meds because they lack something they are missing something perhaps it is their destiny that is predefined by nature in and of itself that they're lacking and this empty hollow vampit search for attention and validation through multiple penises isn't serving them as well as they thought it would. Perhaps. Other members of the crew enter the Matrix to meet an important figure called the Oracle. Upon arrival, Neo sees a group of children who are all doing seemingly impossible things. A few are manipulating objects like bubbles and blocks using their minds, and one child even manages to bend a spoon right in front of Neo. Neo takes an interest in the child, who explains that trying to bend the spoon is impossible. One has to realize that there is no spoon. There is no spoon. This is true of your life as well, gentlemen. You think because things are the way they are, they could never be different. They could never change. Well, I have this job now. I could never make more money. I could never aspire for better. I could never do that. I could never be a YouTuber. I could never get anyone to watch. No one would ever want to watch you, John. Why do you even try? Why would you try? Just do what you're supposed to do and everything will be fine. They have to use their mind to overcome impossible obstacles. Once Neo hears this, he Who would like to go ahead and ban that person from the stream? I'm sure one of my moderators are working for it now, I would imagine. You can just ban him entirely, no point in having that here. He looks at the spoon and is able to easily bend it with his mind, just before he's quickly called off to see the oracle. This spoon bending scene is important as it establishes the way out of the matrix. As you start to realize that everything in your life is determined by your mindset, your life really begins to change. And the change of mindset isn't only an internal change, but also an external one. The way you see the world actually changes it around you. In an abstract sense, we all create our own realities through our experiences. The world is only made up of the data that our senses give us, and it's up to us to fill in the rest. In the movie, this is made literal. Neo can bend the spoon because he knows and accepts the truth that it's simply a figment of the Matrix. And in doing so, this puts him forward on his hero's journey. But because Neo hasn't fully accepted his journey or fully understood the fact that he is the chosen one, the Oracle doesn't have good news for him as she states that he really isn't the one. And once Neo is down receiving this bad news, Neo then gets a case of deja vu after watching a black cat repeat its movements. As soon as he says this, this indicates to the crew that there has been a glitch in the Matrix. It turns out that the 
whole visit was just a trap set up with the help of Cypher. And things start to go downhill from here, as Morpheus is then caught by Ancient Smith, and the rest of the group flees to a nearby garage. As it's revealed that Cypher has backstabbed all of them, he then goes on to kill many of his crew, but is stopped right before he can kill the chosen one, Neo. This too is part of the hero's journey. Campbell shows that one of the key steps in your hero's journey is facing someone who wants to bring you back to where you started. And in the Matrix, Cypher represents this. He's the guys you know who want to bring you down. He's the other crab in the bucket. People don't want you to succeed. They don't want you to escape the Matrix surrounding People don't want you to succeed. People don't want you to win because they need you right where you are. They want you to be blissfully in control. Easy to control. Hmm. You see, guys, because when you do these things and we talk these things and we... They don't want that. They'll send their agents, their bots, to try to spam and try to get the system taken down, the stream taken down for racism or whatever it may be, guys. But when you're onto something, people don't want that. When you encourage other people, they don't want that. Moderators, do your worst, boys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Because if you do, it shines a bad light on them. They know their flaws. They know their mindset is weak. Cypher's failed sabotage demonstrates the futility of the desire to go back to ignorance. And this is true for both our reality and the Matrix. Once the truth is uncovered, there's no going back. Which brings us on to one of the most interesting scenes in the movie, a dialogue between Morpheus and Agent Smith. Two equals and opposite sides of an extensive conflict between man and AI. Smith equates humanity to a virus, one that spreads exponentially while devouring all the resources in their way. And from the perspective of a machine, good work, boys. They're barely getting out any, the whole word at this point. Fantastic. Very interesting. He isn't entirely wrong. Smith then clears his subordinates from the room and further levels with Morpheus. It turns out Smith hates the Matrix just as much as Morpheus, yet for very different reasons. Smith views himself as above it. Agent Smith represents the elite. He's the one who creates the Matrix. He hates the people inside of it. The he hates the people inside of it. This is society at large, I would think, at this point, guys. You see, they don't like the people that they control, that they manipulate, the people that they define how their life should be. It seems the moderators are on it today, boys. Very, very good work, gentlemen. Oh, my. We are setting the record for bots here today, guys. Stay on your toes, boys. People inside of it are the only ones feeding his life force, and yet he can't help but despise these people. These people who live in blissful ignorance of the horrible world around them. They right, he can't help but despise them. This is the mindset of the female as well. While she needs the simp to provide for her, while she wants the simp to take care of her and provide and be a good little boy, she despises him for this same very reason. You understand? She doesn't like the weakness, the dirt of this world, so to speak, as Smith says. She despises that. You understand? The same as the agents themselves. They have no idea what the truth is. They don't know the darkness of the real world. And by accessing the secrets that Morpheus holds, this will allow- Thank you, Primo BC. I'm trying to get many more haters by summer next year. You know, we'll let them come on through. Allow Agent Smith- of course, block them and ban them immediately, but it is interesting to note that whenever we do a good stream like this, normally Susan or whoever would just 
interfere with the stream through StreamYard, but now I'm no longer on StreamYard, I'm doing it direct. I'm no longer on Wi-Fi, so my Wi-Fi router can't just be spiked, reset through a signal. I know about these things because, well, I used to be a different type of individual, but now I've got a direct connection straight to the internet provider, which is straight to you guys. I'm under a cloud, a shield, so to speak, IP-wise, so that uh, the laptop is, of course, safe and the internet provider is, of course, masked. So now it's just my laptop and YouTube server directly. So they have to find another way. There has to be another way. Remember, guys, if you've ever attended my live streams, we've never had any of these bot issues before. We did have sex bots, but I took care of that pretty promptly. And now we are running into this individual type of behavior here where you can't type in certain words that I've blocked and banned from the system because I didn't want those types of words in my chat. So now they have to go letter by letter, which gives my moderators plenty of time. And I have plenty of moderators who are on their game. Hmm. Very interesting voice. Let's continue. To completely destroy the last remaining bastion of humanity in the outside world, a place called Zion. But before Smith can extract this information, Nero and Trinity storm the building with multiple firearms, rescuing Morpheus in the process. The trio make their escape through a phone booth as Morpheus exits the Matrix along with Trinity, but not before witnessing Agent Smith at the last second, leaving him alone with Neo. The two begin fighting, but Neo isn't able to keep up with Smith and is eventually shot dead. Back on the ship with Morpheus and Trinity, they watch Neo as all of this happens. Devastated, Trinity whispers into Neo's ear that she would fall in love with the dead man and that he is the one. As she kisses Neo, he is thunderously resurrected, almost in a biblical sense. This scene again is just another phase of the hero's journey. Mr. Rivers, you are probably right. These perhaps are not bots, but they are at very least NPCs. People who were led to do a certain thing by a certain someone else who pulls their strings like the puppeteer. Either way, We'll take care of them one at a time if we have to, boys. It's all right. The point of deepest despair. It seems like all is lost as Neo lies unconscious. But when Neo makes the choice to save Morpheus, he begins the final steps towards his journey. His death and rebirth are literal, but they're also metaphorical. Mr. Anderson, the person with no purpose, the person who's nihilistic. The man who wants to find out who he is, the person with no purpose. The person who's self-hating, self-wallowing, living an atomized, transient, lonely life in a dystopian megacity is gone. However, Neo is born. This sequence and what follows next is the conclusion of Neo's journey, where he faces his harshest challenge yet as he journeys into the government building to rescue Morpheus. In doing so, he becomes the one. He conquers his mind, and by doing so, Neo fulfills his hero's journey. He finally finds meaning in life. Neo defeats the nihilism surrounding him by accepting the truth around the world. And from Neo's perspective, everything around him is now computer code. He effortlessly flies into Agent Smith, obliterating him and causing his colleagues to run away. Once all said and done, Neo exits the Matrix and detonates an EMP, securing the safety of his operations base back in the real world. The film then ends with Neo talking on a payphone, speaking directly to the audience. Neo sends a warning that he is going to expose the truth of what's really out there, and he proceeds to fly straight up in the sky as the film cuts to black. This end scene is an allegory of escaping nihilism. Through rejecting our fractured habitus and the false values of the virtual world, one can find me the false values of the virtual world indeed. Meaning in reality, among many, these consumerist forces we find today are distractions that drive people away from the truth. Distractions. Remember the Truman Show Boys, the first one we did at the beginning of this video. The Fight Club. In all of the movies that we've looked at this afternoon, it's the distractions. 
With self-improvement and your own hero's journey, it's possible to escape the clutches of your own matrix. In the film, the bullets that would have killed Neo before simply stop in mid-air. In the same way, the things that seem like problems in the virtual world cease to matter when you stop focusing on them and pay attention to the real ones. This whole end scene is supposed to highlight the true power of overcoming our own mind, our own self-destructive thoughts, and our own self-limiting beliefs. By defeating his anxieties, Neo could defeat anything. It was only once he conquered himself that he could find transcendental meaning and overcome the impossible. Which is what this film is trying to show us, that when you realize that you have full control of your behavior, addictions, anxieties, Oh, I love my moderators. Y'all beat me to it, man. I was going to go ahead and hide that person from the channel, too. Isn't it interesting, guys? I would rather have a million people watching who all hate what I'm doing. You know what I mean? It's fine. We'll just keep banning and blocking them, of course. 62 people in the chat. I wonder how many are haters. Hey, all of my haters out there, make sure you drop a super chat. Hit me right here at the Cash App, guys. Don't just hate and be all angry. Put your money where your mouth is and donate to your boys so I can keep making this content, giving you all of the hate and vitriol that feeds your meaningless lives. Relationships, health, and destiny, can you start to wake up from the delusion you've been living in? This is the only way of breaking through the matrix that has enslaved your life. Guys, thank you so much. I certainly hope you've enjoyed this. I know I've enjoyed this thoroughly. It's been a lot of fun, boys. Glad to see everyone's doing good. It looks like we've gotten all the cash outs right now. That's fantastic. Oh, Patty. Patty sounds like a, a woman's name. I wonder which one of the women here on the YouTubes I've pissed off. I wonder which one of the women. Perhaps it's one of Hurley's women. Perhaps it's one of the Romy... Arma, Army, is it? I always forget what her name is. Certainly it's not Catherine Ryan. I've always appreciated and loved her work, but looks like we've got all the Super Chats, boys, unless you want to drop one now. I certainly do appreciate it. Thank you guys for watching. It's been phenomenal. We're coming up on two hours. We're at an hour and 45 minutes right now. The stream is strong. Wi-Fi is non-existent, so we haven't been, uh, you know what I'm saying? We haven't been... Uh, interrupted here guys thank you so much we're gonna go ahead and uh wrap this up a little bit thanks for all the love and support boys don't forget to hit that like button on your way uh out if you haven't already i would certainly appreciate it let's see if we can go ahead and get this taken care of for you give me just one moment boy some angry folks today Angry, angry folks in here. Unbelievable, guys. Mmm, beautiful. Guys, thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm gone with John. We'll see you next time, boys.